RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Probably at some point you've given thought to how resilient you are. What are your survival skills? Have you prepped for this? There's that word prepper. Well, I thought we'd have a conversation about that with Simon Fleck. He lives in New Zealand, but grew up in Northern Ireland, and uh, he has some knowledge in this area. And Simon, welcome to Reality Check Radio. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, pleasure. And I understand you also um, helped some teens out during those sort of dark mandated days where um, they couldn't attend anything, and you you kind of took them under your wing and, and taught them some survival skills. Is that correct? Yeah, well, general shelter building and stuff like that and just how to survive a night out, you know, if they were ever stuck anywhere out in the bush. wasn't anything in depth like, you know, how to sort of trap a pig, skin a pig, eat a pig or anything like that. I think there was some expectations of that's what it was going to be. But it, it, that particular um, event was really good. It was organized by uh, a friend of mine, uh, Michela, and she asked me to do it. And I thought, why not, you know, get them out, get them into a group and just give them some knowledge of the bush. Because a lot of people have never spent a night out under a tarp or just slept, you know, in a, in a shelter of some sort. And I've been kind of doing that since I was early 20s in yeah. Northern Ireland. So okay, well, and it was we- kind of fun just to see them, see their faces and stuff and, and get them together as a group. We'll get to that Northern Ireland part shortly. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. wondering, um, how were those teens? Because they would have been feeling separated out from their peers. Um, they're probably old enough to kind of work out what's going on or to not be, you know, too uh, sort of confused as maybe <clears throat> a younger person would be younger than teens anyway. What were they like during that period? How did you find them? I find them really good. I find them um, uh, convivial and um, interested in doing something different. Were they um, affected uh, at all by, by being, you know, were they feeling excluded? Uh, how were they coping with that? Well, I, I don't know whether they were feeling excluded or not. I didn't really have conversations around that. Paul, it was, it was more for me um, just getting them out and getting them to do something because, well, they were excluded from doing certain things. Yeah. So, but I, I, as for their own states, I, I couldn't tell you. You'd have to ask them. Yeah, but they um, seemed well adjusted, right? They seemed well adjusted oh, despite it all. A hundred percent. I mean, they, they were in good spirits and, and, they, and they, they, you know, they embraced the, 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 the night away with open arms and I think the majority of them really and truly enjoyed it because they'd never done anything like that before. And they didn't have their devices with them. I take it that, that they had to be sort of uh, uh, left somewhere no, else. They had their phones. Yeah. No, I, uh, you know, trying to separate youth from their phones. Is, yeah. Is yeah. Good luck with that. And, and I <laughs> wasn't going to be the one to step in and say, no, you know, if they wanted to do another one, and I said that to them, like, you know, if you want to do another one of this a little bit more in depth, where we go and we catch our own food, um, you know, from the sea or whatever, and you can cook it on a, on a fire, you know, that sort of heading down that track, more than happy to do that. But they they didn't come back to me, and, you know, I could see why, because, you know, we're coming out of it. 
things are changing, the dynamics are changing, and you know. But if they'd have wanted to do that, I'd, I'd have had no trouble doing that and supervising it. So Northern Ireland, well, we know the, well, the recent and past history of that part of the world. You'd need some survival skills in that environment, or maybe you used to have to have them. What was that like? Yeah, it was an interesting place to grow up, Paul. There's, there's, there's all sets of survival skills, you know, that, that people employ every day. And my skill is people. I've always been really good with people. Uh, and that was my survival skill, was just getting on with everybody around me. Uh, and then you have the street smarts coming on top of that. You know who's trouble, you know who's not not trouble. Um, I read a book many years ago called Profiler, uh, and it was about the FBI behavioral unit uh, and the profilers, what they, they came into. And the guy said, everybody's a profiler in the world. It's just some people are better at it than others. Yeah. And my own sort of thoughts is that anybody coming from Northern Ireland uh, you said a civil war. It was. It was. Wasn't really a civil war. It was more like a, a secret war. That's what it was. And you never knew who you were talking to in Belfast. And you had to size these people up really quickly uh, from their mannerisms and, and little things that they said. And you know, you just got an, a, a general vibe to people. And I think that's my skill is just reading people really quickly. Uh, so, so you could tell one of my strongest yeah. skills. So you could sort of kind of tell who was who. Yeah, you can kind of tell the way people talk, mannerisms, um, you know, general air of people. Um, I've only ever met two people in my life that my heckles sat up on the back of my neck, and both of those were in Belfast. And I found right. out later that they were they were part of you know terrorist activity. So our you know. They call it terrorists now. It wasn't really what we called them. We just called them paramilitaries. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I had a friend of mine. That? I had a friend of mine years ago, and uh, his father was uh, Irish from Northern Ireland. He was born in New Zealand, but he was very much, um, um, you know, living the struggle from here. Went over to Ireland, and I'm uh, God. I'm going back, you know, forty years here to mm -hmm. sort of do his bit. And then turned up again about a month later, and it, it it was like he'd seen a ghost. He got freaked out yeah. and and came home. It was it was that much of a terrible experience for him. I don't think. Well, obviously, he didn't know what he was about to get into. Yeah, well, I'll tell you the story of of my eye opener. My wife's Kiwi, and we met in Northern Ireland. And there was one night we came out, and there were rioting all around Belfast. And the last taxi out of Belfast uh, took us down, long story short, she's seen the armoured cars and, and the police cars lined up alongside it and the taxi driver and I were laughing at this because we grew up with it and then I turned and saw her face and it was just one of utter terror because she had no reality uh, to pin this onto and, and, and no experience to pin this onto in her, in her past life, uh, or sorry, in her, in, her, in her life and I realized then that's the face I should actually have to this. This is not normal. This is not a normal environment to grow up in. Wow. And that's when I made the decision that, you know, I, you know, Rochelle was going back to New Zealand, so I would go back with her. So, yeah, I can imagine that moment. Skills, you know, mm. prepping, prepping and survival skills, it, it depends on the situation. I mean, mostly here I will prep for an earthquake because that's the number one threat that we have. 
Um, I live in the Wairarapa, and if there's an earthquake, and this is kind of the scenario that I go through and I, I talk to people, because sometimes it's, if you can think of the worst situation to be in, that's the situation you're going to be in. So, you know, if, if a, an earthquake comes through the Rapa and Wellington at eight or higher, um, the whole Rimatuka Hill is going to be closed for months, probably, let alone weeks, until they clear it out because all of the effort will be concentrated on the capital, will be concentrated on Wellington. And resources and everything else will have to be diverted into Wellington. The surrounding areas will probably have to wait. But also when you, when you prep, Paul, you actually, you actually take away the burden of the rescuers because you're contained, you're self-contained, so you don't have to go to the, the, the centres and get food from people who aren't prepared or can't prepare is probably a better word. Um, one of the things that really annoyed me about um, when we went into lockdown was the panic buyers because they go in and they buy up all the milk, they buy up all the bread, they buy up all the toilet rolls and then the old age pensioner who can only afford a loaf of bread and a pint of milk per week is left with nothing. Yeah. Um, um, one of the why, reasons why. Why the toilet paper? I could never work out why that that was such a i mean i saw people walking down the streets with as much as they could carry seriously so yeah. um, i 100% it's i don't get it either you know we have, we have, we have got toilet rolls in the house they'd be much better buying soap for a longer cuz yeah. soap's going to save your life you know the biggest destroyers of of after incidences like earthquakes volcanoes whatever is disease because of dirty water and yeah. the dirty water gets on your hands and then it gets inside your mouth. So you're much better buying more soap than toilet paper. Uh, and, you know, then that leads on to the whole health and, you know, digging your own latrine if you have to, all of that, you know. So, yeah. So, and so, I, I'm, okay. I'm always surprised. Uh, sorry, let's break it down. So, first of all, uh, and I think you make a good point about, yeah, there's going to be the rescue effort initially anyway, and you don't know how, how long that will be. It could be weeks. Is going to be um, focused on the on the big centre, Wellington, in in the case of what you're talking about. Um, so, yep. um, it, with that in mind, you're obviously uh, also giving the break to rescuers because you're one that, that doesn't need to be helped so much, so they can put more energy into the ones who who do. But you know, mm. what would the what would the ideal stockpile of fundamentals be? I mean, how much canned food? I, you don't need to go down to the can, but you know, in terms of uh, duration, you, you want two or three weeks available to you? Is well, that the kind of time frame you're thinking? Yeah, there's 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 milestones in the prepping community. The first one is three days. If you have three days worth of food, three days worth of water on hand, you're doing well because most you know power outages are. Um, storms or activity like that, you're probably talking about three days before things start coming right and people can move into gear uh, mm. to help you out. The next step from that is three weeks. So there's there's lots of rules of three in, in prepping and survival. Uh, three minutes without air or three minutes in certain, you know, if you're in icy water or whatever, uh, three minutes to live. Then you've got three days with no water. You can only go three days without water. Some people, as an average rule, some people will, will last a little bit longer, but generally three days, most people will be, be dead in three days. With That's no not water. long. That's uh, not long at all, is it? not long. 
really not long. So your priority is always water. You stockpile loads of water, lots as much water as you can stockpile. And and as soon as they give out a weather warning or anything like that in your area, just go to the tap and fill up. Have ten plastic bottles, you know, or ten ten liters or, or collapsible ones, or fill the bath up if you need to. But get some drinkable water and potable water in in your house or where you're staying. Yeah. And then food. You know, you can go three weeks without food. Your body should be able to, to live. You'll not do very well uh, and you won't be in a good state, but you can live up to three weeks without any food. But getting back to, to supplies, yeah, three days, that's your first goal. If you have three cans of beans and 500 grams of rice, that's going to do two people for three days. And then and three weeks, that's your next step. Yeah. Okay, and I guess you can just sort of multi-exit by how many times and, and you'll get to three weeks. It's interesting that the number three yeah. comes up so often, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, I'm not really entirely sure why that, why that you know, I, I'm assuming it's because you've got three weeks, you know, of food, so that's your next goal. You want to have three weeks of food because that's what you will last without food. But of course, you can you can do intermittent fasting in that. At the moment, I, I, I don't eat for 24 hours uh, once a week and that just trains the body to do less food it also does you an incredible amount of good because it helps you know the body process all the stuff that you put in your body during the week um but yeah you know and you might need to cut your meals down to two meals a day instead of three and that might be difficult for some people with you know blood sugar or whatever but it's not a one size fits all you actually need to look at it from a personal point of view and go okay what do I need to eat? You know, I need to eat every four hours, so I'll pack some dehydrated or freeze-dried food in there as well, freeze-dried fruit, freeze-dried uh, meals, whatever it is. Um, but it comes back to that three days to start with, three weeks, and then you move up to three months. Um, three months is, is a lot of food to stock. Oh, yeah. Um, but it, it, it may be the difference between having a good time and a hard time. Yeah, because the other thing is, too, that you can bet that some people won't have done this and they'll be searching around. So you... 100%. Yeah, so which then 100%. then gets into, um, I guess, security aspects of that. Back to Northern Ireland. <laughs> um, 100%. It's, it's about knowing who's around you in the community to start with and, and who's likely to, to come looking for food, you know. And, and you know, I, I hear this... Um, this bandied about about uh, an SHTF situation, and I don't I don't really refer to it as that. I normally just call it no WEF or no WEFs, and that's no water, no energy, no food, and no uh, security. Um, and yes, then you do have to start looking at being careful about. Um, they talk about in the prepper community even cooking your dinner without any smells if you can, because yeah. smells will alert people who are looking for food. Um, fires will alert people, smoke coming out, that you have fuel. Um, so, yeah, they, all of these things, and we, we've seen that in you know certain areas in New Zealand over the past couple of weeks where looters have come in or, or people who are just looking to take advantage of the situation. So, yes, you definitely have to um, be alert and be aware of who's around you. Yeah, I suppose one of those little um, portable gas cookers would be a good idea. Hundred um, percent. I've I've got numerous cooking uh, devices. Um, I've got an outside stove that I can cook on 
with wood uh, to braise your anna stove and that's in case the house is actually wrecked and, and you, you can't get back into the house or you know as, as we talked about worst case scenario if there's an earthquake during winter and you've got a fire lit and the fire comes loose and your house burns down the stuff that's kept you know in other places on the property then you can utilize that um and, and at least have warmth boil water cook something eat something um but yeah a little gas stove uh, a big gas stove if you have it a barbecue most new zealanders have a barbecue that they can utilize but of course have an extra gas bottle as well um, and as soon as one's finished, replace it. Ideally, you're looking at two. There's a, there's a rule of thumb in, in prepping that's uh, one is none, uh, two is one, and one is none. And you're right. always looking for that redundancy in case something breaks or doesn't work. You've got something else to move into its place. And the little gas stoves, Paul, are are, are great. You know, they're twenty one dollars. And I know that's so cheap. Cheap incredible. Cheap tips. Mm. And if you have even just one of those on and, and five or six cans or ten cans, you know, again, depending on how long you want to go into it and how far down the rabbit hole you want to go, three days, you get one, you get five cans, it's as good as gold, five, gallon, five cans of gas. Um, yeah. And then three weeks, you just multiply that out. Yeah. All right. What about uh, shelter? Because, you know, you just mentioned one of the houses trashed or burned down. And usually there's another, like a shed type thing on the property, usually, but maybe not. So you'd want to have some sort of shelter, and, and that would be obviously some sort of capable tent, I would imagine, first off. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got a tent, brilliant. If you've got a shed, just tarps, anything at all that you can, that you can utilize to make a shelter, uh, tarps. Uh, most people will have a tarp lying in, in their garden and it's just a matter or lying in their garden shed and it's just a matter then of rigging that up to trees or any other stable uh, posts within your garden. Um, and again, just being aware of who's around you. you know, if you're out in the elements like that, then yeah, that becomes uh, that becomes really top of the list about uh, keeping an eye on what's going on around you and who's around you and everything else because you don't what? have that secure... I don't want to wall to the height. I don't want to sort of promote anything or give people ideas, but just getting back to that security thing, it would make it would be sensible or make sense to have some sort of well weapon. Oh yeah, I tend to stay away from that, Paul. I I I don't. Um, well, I mean, we're talking I, about a huge good. meltdown here, right? Okay, we're not talking about an earthquake. I know that, but. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it depends, obviously, on, on the disaster. If, it, if it's a worldwide, you know, death of whatever, human beings on, on a massive scale, you know. Alien attack. That, the, the, well, <laughs> according to some that you it would tell you the aliens are here. So Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, look, the defense of yourself and, and you know, I... I I would say the first and foremost is is actually to go and learn self-defense, if, if that's yep. your case. And self-defense is just great to, to go and learn. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, absolutely incredible. You know, okay. um, We've yep. seen it on the Ultimate Fight Contest and everything else, how to take somebody down peacefully. Uh, and there's lots of classrooms and dojos throughout, out the, with a, throughout the country. And you know how to incapacitate someone without really 
you know, without really hurting them. Yeah. Um, most yeah. of the time. And, yeah. you know, and, and the jiu-jitsu the, um, jiu is, is suitable for all sizes. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're big or small, thin, whatever, lightly built, heavily set. You know, it, it teaches you to defend yourself against um, people who want to do you harm yeah. in a very passive way, actually. Um, yeah, so so you're not being violent. But, you're, just, uh, you're just using moves to, well, to, to defend yourself and to... That's right. And yeah. it, it's all about it's all about defense. It's, it's not about attack. So the other thing I'd say about your shelter is um, sleeping bags as well. Make sure oh, yeah. you've got a really good sleeping bag. Uh, if you can, get cots or beds as well, like camp beds. They, they make a big difference. Get them off the um, ground, right? Elevate, get them off the ground. Yeah, but it's, it's basically a lot, of, a lot of the prepping ideas and a lot of the prepping knowledge is just taken from camping. Uh, and uh, actually the Boy Scouts as well. Um, when I was a child, I was in the Scouts for a while, and then I was in the Boys' Brigade for a while. Um, yep, and I was so. in the Museum yep. Territorial for a while as well. Okay. And, and basically you're using the same principles uh, that you use throughout, throughout all of those when you're camping. Yeah. Um, you know, just boil your water, insulate yourself from the ground, uh, sleeping bags, you know, make sure your tent is sturdy and, and it's up for the job. Um, you know, if you have bits of wood knocking about, make yourself a temporary shelter out of that if you have to. Um, but again, it depends, as you say, on, on you know, it depends on the circumstances is, is normally how I'd, I'd explain it. If it's, if it's a flood, you prepare differently for a flood than you do for a drought. So yeah, um, yeah, obviously you yeah. just need to take these in. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but there's all sorts of sure. Carry on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Paul. I was just going to say, also, you know, especially in a family situation or a group situation, you want to be or have the presence of mind to exercise some kind of leadership and control. Absolutely, don't panic. You know, that's that's the worst thing you can do is panic, and and prepping takes that panic away. Um, whenever, whenever the uh, COVID nineteen kicked off, uh, you know, my wife came to me and said, "Oh, you know, what are we going?" And I said, "Love, here's your hand sanitizer. Here's your gloves. Here's your masks. You know, I've I've got plastic sheets in the house that I can staple up and, and make isolation rooms for you know cleaning down people if they're contaminated with whatever sort of contaminants. If it's a contaminant one." Um, so yeah, it's it, it, it's about the preparedness taking away that panic because it's already in place. You already know what you're going to be doing. Yeah, and it's too late after it's hit. It's too late. Hundred percent. Prepping's all about forehand. You know, it's, it's to me one of the best models in the world is the Skype model. Be prepared, and then um, Newton. Newton came along and he added to that and he said, fortune favours the prepared mind. Right. And that was one of the quotes that stuck with me all my life. If you're prepared for something, you're, you're going to do a lot better than somebody, obviously, who's somebody who's not. Um, yeah. And it, it doesn't really take that much. Paul, you know, you go into a shop and, and you know, cans of beans are on special, two for one. Yeah. And if you normally buy two tins anyway, you're getting an extra, just stick them in the larder. Put them away. I I knew 
a couple of preppers in uh, Hastings that used to have two big uh, metal bin cans, metal uh, bins in their uh, garage, and they were just chock full of tinned food. Yeah, just build it up over time, right? Yeah, just build it up over time. I don't expect anybody to rush out and, you know, spend $10,000 on, you know, dehydrated or or freeze-dried food. It'd be pretty obvious what you're doing, leaving the supermarket with, you know, five shopping trolleys worth of canned food. (laughs) (laughs) There's a prepper! (laughs) With your... with your toilet rolls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole trailer load of toilet rolls. You probably trade them later. You exchange them for tobacco or something. Well, well, there's there's all of that. You know, there, there's there's bartering comes into it as well. Um, you know, kind of fizzy drink or a bar of chocolate goes a long way. You know, tobacco yeah. only has a certain a certain. They talk about it as a certain time limit to it in a disaster, uh, especially a prolonged one, because most people will stop smoking because they just <laughs> can't get it regularly enough. Yeah, yeah. Enforced, uh, uh, enforced cessation. Yeah. That's a 100%. Yep. And, well, you know, the, your priorities shift from cigarettes to, to actually just getting, you know, getting yeah. something to eat. It was the first one that came to mind. Yeah. It's yeah. all the movies, it, I think. Yeah, 100% pack of smokes. Um, yeah. I always find that knowledge is one of the best things to, to trade because you can you can take it anywhere and it weighs nothing. And if you know plants that you can eat in the wild um, and you can you, know, you can trade that for, well, I can go and pick these and bring them to people or, or you know that sort of thing, or you can teach people. It's much better to teach people, I always find, because then it's, it's less work for you taking care of them. Um, yeah, yeah. you can educate people to start with. So how would that negotiation go? I want to know a plant I can eat. Well, that'll be four cans of baked beans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it depends, I suppose, on, on what, uh, what, what I would need. I'm speaking from a personal point of view. It would be something that I would need because I, I don't have all the skills, Paul, so I might have a car that is not working and it needs fixed. So I could say to someone, well, look, you have the skills of a mechanic. Um, you know, I, I can bring you food for three days. I'll bring you three days worth of food if you fix my car. That's where you don't want to have an electric car. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, I, I take everything right down to what I can par myself. You know, I, I bikes, brilliant, uh, things like that, that I can actually move about under my own volition is, is what I'm looking at. Um, easier to find fuel, though. Easy, easier to siphon off fuel from somewhere than to try and get the whole power grid going again. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, yeah, there, there's... I kind of look at redundancies. That's what I kind of look at. How long can I use something with the resources I have? And I normally carry 20 litres of fuel in the house. Um, yeah. And then you look at that and you go, okay, how is that best spent? Well, I don't need to travel, so that may, for example, go on a chainsaw because I need to go and cut wood. And then you look at how much firewood can I cut with a chainsaw. Um, yeah, with eat it out that way. Petrol. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what about so a generator? It, Does it make sense to have a, a little generator? That would be be a bit noisy, though. It might give away that, hey, these guys have got electricity. But that would be sensible. 100%. How much do they cost those things? What, about a grand, something like that? 
Yeah, I think anywhere between five hundred and a thousand dollars you can pick them up for in DIY stores. So yeah, if it, it, again it, it depends on your I suppose your surroundings. If if you have a couple of dodgy people in your area, yeah, you know it might not be the best thing. Or run it, and when it you don't need it at night when you're going to bed, turn it off, unhook it, and bring it in. Bring it into a secure location. Yeah. Um, yeah, it it just ma- it makes sense to have a generator. Um, a lot of things you can then power your phone. You can get what what I normally do is in, in any situation I'll ask people for advice on what they find uh, helpful. Yeah. Um, and I talked to one of my friends who was in the Christchurch earthquake, and he said the aftermath um, always have petrol on hand. Because even if there's no power in your house and it's in winter, you can go out and you can start the car up and you can get heat in the car. Of you course. can turn the heater on and be warm. Of course, yeah, yeah. You can also turn the radio on as well to get information. And this is what came through. I talked to quite a few people, um, even after the, the Gisborne event as well, the other month. And they said one of the worst things was not knowing what was going on outside. So you don't get any information coming in if you if you if you don't have the means to receive that information. Um, so and that was batteries was another one that that kept popping up was having more batteries on hand to power a little and a transistor radio to power a transistor radio. Good old transistor radio. Yep. Good old version, transistor version one Hundred percent, mate. It, it, you know, it's cheap to run. Doesn't really drain the batteries too much, and you can get a lot of information coming through it. As well as classic and the other hits. thing was, was cash. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Absolutely. Cash, yeah, The other cash. thing was cash. Yep. Cash. Have some cash on hand because the ATMs go down. Never mind people coming to refill them. They're just not working because the power's out. Yeah. Well, that's going to be interesting because. Cash is clearly being phased out. So I know I have I have hmm. this conversation with people about you know the, the centralized digital bank currency that's coming in, and it, it, to me it just doesn't it just it's not feasible. It's just not feasible. That didn't stop you know, anyone I, doing I, anything though, Simon. That's the problem. Well, I I think once people get into it and they understand the mistake they've made when the electricity goes down and they can't purchase anything, I think there's going to be you know. Some people asking questions and, and you know, mm. the way I look at it is when change comes along, you can always change it back. There's nothing, there's nothing set in stone. Yeah. You know, just because it says this is the way we're going forward doesn't mean to say we don't have to, we, we, we don't or can't go back. So yeah. I just think people need to think that through a little bit more about the digital currency when, when, the, uh, when the power goes down and you, you have no alternative to pay for something. Um, and the shop isn't going to let you take that on an IOU. No, no, very doubtful. Um, is there anything we've missed? A lot of. Sorry, Simon, you finish what you say. Uh, oh no, I was just going to say that's why a lot of a lot of preppers, not myself, I don't hold any valuable metals. It it, it doesn't really interest me at this moment in time. Right. Um, but a lot of them will go back to that. It's just that whole bartering thing. How do you split up a a, a gold sovereign? You know, yeah. if you only want a, you know a packet of condensed milk. You need a you need a one of those um you know saws that saws metal. What do they call? <laughs> hacksaw. Hacksaw, yeah, hacksaw, hacksaw, hacksaw a bit, a bit off the edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
I don't think there's anything with, with well, there, there probably is, Paul, because, you know, I could, I could probably talk about this subject all day because there's so many different aspects to it. You know, wild yeah. food is another one, foraging. Um, you know, yeah. uh, just go out and identify a dandelion and a plantain and mallow. And if you identify those three plants, you'll, you'll be able to eat well for three, four or five days or, or a couple of months. Okay. Um, yep. Just name and, those and I, again. Uh, what, what were those names again? Just really clearly so people can get those. Uh, so, so your dandelion, your, your normal garden dandelion. Yeah. Uh, then your plantain. So you've got plantains, which are, are those two, and mallow. So you'll have a large plant grow in your back garden called a mallow. Uh, and mallow is like, if you like okra, you'll like mar- uh, mallow. Okay. Mallow, okay. mallow leaves are kind of that, um, I don't want to say slimy, but that's kind of how they go, like an okra and a curry. Yep. Uh, if you've ever had okra curry. Yes, I have. So, you know, those sort of three, those three plants, um, they'll keep you fed for ages. Um, and then just your own garden, you know, whatever you can produce in your own garden. Puha, I mean, puha goes wild. Who doesn't know who, what puha is? If you don't know what puha is and you're living in New Zealand, you're <laughs> not living the, the right lifestyle. You'd be yeah. deported. <laughs> you don't know what <laughs> that is. Allowed in. Instant deport, <laughs> deportation, yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't yeah, yeah. be allowed in if you can't identify puha. They'll hold the you picture know, up at the, other, at the border, yeah. At the border, what is this? Um but, you know, so those those sort of half a dozen plants or a dozen plants are, are really all you all you need to to keep your vitamins up, keep your minerals up, um, and keep yourself in, in reasonable good shape. And they grow yeah. wild; they're free. Yeah, you just got it, it, it adds to my interest. It adds to my interest because I'm interested in the natural world. Actually, I'm interested in all facets of this of this wonderful life that we lead. Yeah, um, but nature especially and and. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe people can go and, and search the images of those um, that of what you've just mentioned, so they can identify by sight. You know, and learn to see what they look like would be a good bit of knowledge yeah. to have in advance as well. All right. There's, well, then there's yeah, heaps carry on. Paul of people out. Sorry, there's heaps of people out there that do a much better job of this than me. And one of them that I listen to a lot is City Prepping. He's a really good guy. He's really meticulous in how he, he approaches prepping. Yeah. And yeah, he's really good. There's Gaussian prepping. There's apps that you can use on your phone to identify plants. Um, but as you have mentioned before, you've got to do this before you're in it. Yeah. That's the preparedness. Be prepared. Okay, well, that's really interesting, Simon. Thank you for coming on and 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 giving us your knowledge like that. I think uh, that's really You're useful welcome. stuff. So, thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah, glad glad to be part of it. I must get your address. So, if I'm in the wire wrapper and the big one hits, I'll, I'll know where to go. <laughs> I'll make you some mallow soup. Yeah, that'll be great. All right, <laughs> Simon Fleck. Thank you for joining us on RCR. No worries. Paul, have a great day. Thanks very much for your time. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.